0: The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Amen. Father, we say to you today, Hallelujah, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. He is the one that lives, though he was dead, and he is the Lord, and behold, he is alive evermore. Glory be to you, our Heavenly Father, who as on this day did raise the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, and makes us partakers of his victory over sin and death. Glory be to you, O Lord Jesus Christ, who for us men and women and for our salvation, has overcome death and opened to us the gates of everlasting life. And glory be to you, Holy Spirit, who does lead us into the truth as it is in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be you, God, our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who brings life and immortality to your people through the gospel. And blessed be your glorious name forever and ever. As we join our hearts together now to pray to you, As we consider what it is to worship in the presence of the living God, Lord, we ask humbly as your servants, as your people, as your children, please pour out your Spirit upon us, that we will leave here today knowing we have been in the presence of the living God. And we join our hearts and our voices now together to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors.
1: And lead us not into
0: temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning, for our Confession of Faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's in the green hymnal in front of you on page 845. I'm going to begin by asking you, since this is a confession of our faith, Christian, what do you believe? I I believe believe in in God the Father Almighty, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and and in in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Pilate, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. Please turn in your green hymnal to number 277. And let's sing together, Christ the Lord is risen today. So. The children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls.
1: Good
0: it's good to see you all. Happy Easter. He is risen. You know, one of the most beautiful things about Easter is that there is something in the beauty of this story that reminds us of the change that takes place for people who belong to God. A change that takes place not just in words that are said about us, and not even in the new name that the Bible says the Lord gives us. But there's something special that happens, and I think it's beautifully illustrated for us in one of the parables that Jesus taught. Does anybody remember the parable of the prodigal son? Do you remember what he said to his dad, the, the, the prodigal son? What did he tell his dad? What did he want? He wanted the money, his
1: share of the, money, the family's money.
0: That's right. He wanted his share of the family's money. And then, did his dad give it to him? Yes. He did. And what did he do with it? He went and spent it. He went and spent all of it. That's right. He went and spent every bit of it. And then one day, while he was uh, working for someone and watching the pigs eat, literally, It says that he he thought to himself, Self, my dad has hired hands that are eating better than these pigs I'm watching eat right now. I'll go and hire myself out to him. I'll go be like one of the workers. And maybe he'll let me come and be there again. So it says that he decided to gather up what he had and he went home. And as he was walking home, He wasn't quite yet at the, at the door or at the porch. Do you remember who it says met him? His dad. And what did he say to his dad? Do you remember? I have sinned against, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I've dishonored God with the way that I spoke with you and the way that I left. I've dishonored the Lord Jesus Christ. I've dishonored you and my family and the good name that we have. I've dishonored myself. And so what, what did he ask his dad? Did he did he follow through with his plan?
1: He asked, for forgiveness.
0: he asked for forgiveness. And he said, Dad, will you hire me? I can be like one of the workers here. And I'll work. I'll work for you. I'll, and that way I can earn to eat and, and have a place to stay maybe if you have some room for me. And do you remember what the father did? He held a feast for me. He put on the best clothes. He told the servants, "Put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet." And he instructed the kitchen staff to kill the fatted calf. That's a picture for us. Yes, Jacob. That brother, um, he he well. And my brother was
1: just coming back.
0: Yes, his brother, his brother who had always been home, who had always worked, who had always done the right thing, who never broke the rules, who never asked dad for money. Apparently never even asked his dad for a party. Not one time. He was upset. So they're throwing the party inside and the, this brother hears all the commotion out in the field where he's working. And he comes and he's upset and he says to his dad, Dad, I, what is going on? And he says, "Your your son, Your brother, my son, who was gone, is now back. The one who was dead is now alive. And we had to celebrate. And he said, I've been slaving for you my whole life. And you've never even given me a goat. And here this son of yours has come back and you've killed the fattened calf. This was something that was reserved for special celebrations. And in this story you see the beauty of the gospel in a way that I think should touch your hearts, boys and girls. Because this one who came back and said, I'll be a slave. I'll work for dad. I'll earn it. I'll earn the right to have food and clothes. Is given a name. He's called a son still. His dad says, you can't earn love. You can't earn my affection. You can't earn a position in my household. You have an inheritance. You are a son. You're mine. And you can never, ever doubt that I love you. And that's the the hope of the gospel in Christ Jesus. You are covenant children who belong to the living God. You can't earn His love. You must live in it and enjoy it. You can't earn it, and you can't do anything to lose it. You are His. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us. Your covenant mercies. That though we would try to come to you and work for you as a hired hand. Lord Jesus, you said I never no longer call you servants but friends. And you say that we are your brothers and sisters. Co-heirs with Christ. This is unimaginable that you would do this for sinners Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We say hallelujah to you today, the risen Lord Christ. And Lord, I thank you and praise you for our covenant children here this morning. That they would know in their hearts, not one day, that they didn't remember, I belong to the Lord. I pray that their love for you would grow and increase. And that they wouldn't get confused about the way their relationship with you is formed. It is because of your hand upon them and not for what they do. They don't earn your love. They can't earn your affection. You have set it on them, and it is there. Lord, I pray that You would help them in moments where they might be confused or worried or even have wandered away like the prodigal son, that You would help them to know that it is Your grace that draws them back home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. For our responsive reading this morning, we're going to be reciting together Psalm 124. It's on page 831 in the green hymnal. Psalm 124. Page 831. I'll begin by reading the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. This is the word of the Lord. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, If the Lord had not been on our side, when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The blood would have followed us, the torment would have swallowed us. us, the raging
1: waters would have swept us away.
0: Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth.
1: We have escaped by the word of the power
0: of the snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's continue to worship. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 274, Thine be the glory. pastoral prayer time this morning, I wanted to give you uh, an update. I had asked that you pray over the last four weeks for Mr. Joel Brown. Um, He is one of our missionaries and serves on the campus at South Carolina State University as an RUF ministry associate. He had his uh, ordination examinations this past Tuesday, April the 4th, and we texted Tuesday evening and uh, he said, I passed. So praise the Lord for that. It is no small feat Um, And we are waiting for some additional details on when his ordination service will be. Uh, But praise the Lord for his faithfulness to Joel and also to his church, uh, that he would be raising up Joel to serve on campus where, uh, to this point, there has never been a presence. Um, Not one church has served on that campus. And so to have someone there sharing the hope of the gospel, the Reformed faith, uh, is a tremendous blessing. And we look forward to the ways that God will continue to encourage us and bless us through his ministry there. This morning I wanted to pray for us as a church family. That we would really enter into what the blessing of this day is. That we would also think of those who are not able to be with us. And even those who are with us who may be grieving. Because they will not have someone at the table at Easter dinner. That would normally be there. But the Lord has called them home. So I want to pray in thankfulness and in rejoicing and also in hope even in our grieving that the Lord Jesus is with us and He sees us even in our grieving and sorrows. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the privilege that it is to call upon You. Will not the God of all the earth do right? You remind us on this day that You do right. You raised up Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, victorious over every enemy of His. And Lord, we thank You and praise You that You did it, and that You give this light to our hearts. You encourage us in our dark days, seeing the glorious Lord Jesus raised up, we have hope. We know that in the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope because we have a resurrection to look forward to ourselves. A time when we will be separated from sin, indwelling sin. We will be separated from death, attacks from the enemy. We will be separated from this world and a system that is designed against you. That wants nothing to do with you, to throw you out of our schools, away from our kitchen tables and out of our hearts. And even out of the conversations in the marketplace around us. Lord, we long for the day that you will call us home. Lord, I pray for those in our church family and we join our hearts as a family here now. To pray for those in our midst who grieve. Who grieve even in hope knowing that you have called their loved ones home. There are many among us who who grieve the loss of loved ones. Maybe uh, life that ended shorter than they thought it would be. And yet all of this Lord is according to your plan. There are no mistakes in the economy of God. And we thank you and praise you for that. We pray that you would hold up our brothers and sisters who grieve. That you would encourage them today that it's okay to cry and okay to weep. That the Lord Jesus says in the Psalms that you hold all of our tears in a bottle. You know all of our sorrows. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that you hear us when we pray. That as we call upon you as sons and daughters of yours, you delight to hear the prayers of your people. And Lord, I pray for all of us today as we worship you, as we spend time with you here and with one another that we would consider the great and wonderful gift the Lord Jesus gave us in this Resurrection Sunday. In his life and death and resurrection, we have hope. And I pray, Lord, that in a few moments after the choir sings, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would preach it to our hearts, that we would hear the truth of the gospel we desperately need to hear. And Lord, I thank you and praise you for your hand of provision and care upon us. That you have brought us all here today. There are no mistakes even in our travels. You have protected us and brought us here. And we pray, Lord, that we would meet with the living God now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're from. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 15 through 23 this morning. Colossians chapter 1, the sermon is entitled, Peace with God. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. "...to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." Over these last couple of weeks, we've talked about the humiliation of Christ. We saw it even in little glimpses on Palm Sunday. And we certainly saw it on Monday, Thursday in our evening service as we looked at the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of that, all of the humiliation, all of the sorrow, all of the pain and anguish, and it was deeply bitter in Jesus' soul. All of that is enclosed and was set aside for a time when what our catechism calls the exaltation of Christ. And so, having spent so much time talking about Jesus's humiliation, I wanted to share with you and encourage you this morning, question number 28 from our Shorter Catechism, which asks, wherein consists Christ's exaltation, or how can we see it and know it? Christ's exaltation consisted in his rising again from the dead on the third day, in ascending up into heaven, in sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and in coming to judge the world at the last day. That is the exaltation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has risen from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, receiving glory and honor and majesty. And He is worthy of all of our praise. And He is coming again one day to judge the living and the dead. On this Resurrection Sunday, I want to ask you a very personal question. (coughs) Don't answer out loud or raise your hand, but it's a personal question. It's also a family question in the family of God. Do you know God? Do you have the peace of being known by Him? I'm not asking have you made a profession of faith. I'm not asking if you came down uh, the church center aisle and went to an altar and prayed with a preacher. I'm not asking if you had your head dunked under water or poured on you. I'm asking do you know the living God? And does He know you? Jeremiah chapter 12 verse 3 says, But you... O Lord, you know me. You have seen me and you have tested my heart toward you. In John chapter 10, verse 24, the Lord Jesus said of his people, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Luke records in chapter 19 of his gospel that on Palm Sunday, Jesus made his way to Jerusalem. Along the road, he was riding a donkey. And when he drew near to the city, Luke says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem, the holy city. In Luke chapter 19, verse 42, he says, If you had known, even you, speaking to Jerusalem, to God's people, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace. Jesus came, it says in the book of John, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They didn't know him. They didn't honor him as God. This was the holy city that Jesus came to riding on a donkey. This was the place of the temple and the sacrifices. It represented for God's people who made a pilgrimage there for the great feasts. This was not a small trip that people would have made. They saved up all year to be able to go and to celebrate the feasts of the living God. It represented for them the nearness of God and the favor of God upon his people. A reminder of his covenants and his promises and His goodness to them. And Jesus weeps over that city. And says all oh, that you would have known. The day of your visitation. That you would know the things that make for peace. And they were hidden from their eyes. It says in verse 42. In Luke chapter 19. They were hidden from their eyes. They weren't to see them. Because they had hardened their hearts. They had said to God. We'll worship you how we would like. We'll deal with you on our own terms. And maybe you've heard this phrase, I made peace with God. I made peace with God a long time ago. I don't bother Him and He doesn't bother me. Maybe you've heard that. That's not peace. That's me deciding, going to God on my own terms. How is it possible, with everything that we have read and looked at in this Easter season, to think that peace with God means I won't bother Him and He won't bother me? And yet there are some of us who functionally live that way, day in and day out, and all of us will. Apart from His grace in our lives, we will live and move and work throughout our day-to-day lives thinking, if I don't bother Him, He won't bother me. If I don't step in His world, He won't step in mine. He'll leave me alone. Now surely, it sounds kind of cynical, but surely some of the people who saw Jesus believed. And yet we know from the Gospels that some people, as they heard the hard sayings of Jesus, they fell away. They were sorrowful. They heard what Jesus said. They saw the miracles. And yet they walked away in unbelief. They wanted a kingdom on this earth. And Jesus was content to say, my kingdom is not of this world. And if it were, my people would have risen up. And they didn't. Because his kingdom was not of this world. And many more people walked away when Jesus was crucified. They were extremely sorrowful. They had no idea. They had no conception of a king who would not have a kingdom on this world. And yet Jesus was clear his kingdom was of another world. So I ask you again today, thinking about peace with God, do you have it? Do you have peace with God? Do you know him? Does he know you? Do you walk with him? Do you read his word? Do you pray? Do you delight in the communion of the saints? Are you walking in your faith? Is your faith living? According to Jesus and according to the Bible, the passage that we read this morning, one way that you know that you know the Lord is that you live with and for Him every day. Your relationship with Him is not what it is on Sunday and not other days. And maybe actually it's more telling on Monday or Friday night or Saturday morning who your God is. Is it the living God? Is it the God who rose from the dead? So, in this passage, I want to look at three headings this morning as we think about knowing God and walking with Him. As you think about the prodigal son that I spoke with the children about this morning, think about Christ's preeminence, number one. Number two, Christ's reconciliation. And number three, Christ's persevering people. Number one, Christ's preeminence. We read this morning that He is the image of the invisible God, He is the firstborn. Of all creation. It doesn't mean that Jesus was created and he was born, so he's a created person like you and me. It means he's the firstborn. He's the first to inherit. He inherits a throne because his father gave it to him. He is the firstborn of creation, the firstborn of the dead. He is the high and exalted one. In Isaiah chapter fifty three, verse fifty two, verse thirteen, the Lord said that his servant would be one who would be lifted up highly and exalted. In Philippians, if you still have your Bible, turn there to Philippians chapter 2. Speaking of one being high and lifted up. Paul says there in Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 9. Therefore God has also highly exalted him, the Son, and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those of the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you might say, well, wait a minute. It seems like the Apostle Paul is maybe slipping a little. Maybe he's missed it. It sounds like he's teaching some sort of universalism. Everybody's going to confess Jesus as Lord. Then why are you so worked up? And why are you asking me personal questions this morning on Easter? Why are you asking me, do I know God? And does He know me? It sounds like everybody's going to confess Him. So why are you so worked up about me doing it now? Paul's not teaching universalism. He is saying that his people absolutely will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. Now they will delight to confess Him Lord. But even at the end of the age, even the creatures and everything else that is made will bow their knees. They will be constrained in the face of living glory. They will bow their knees and they will speak even though their lips may not even know. Their creator is in their presence and they will speak it. He commands it. He is the king of the universe and he certainly is worthy of it. Lastly, Christ's preeminence. He is the head and king of the church. There be no doubt the Lord Jesus is on the throne and he is head of his church. I'm not the head. The elders aren't the head. We are merely under-shepherds, servants of His. Serving you to point you to Jesus. That you would see Him as beautiful and glorious. That the Savior would be lifted up in your heart. And not me, not us. That you would see Him in all of His beauty and glory. And that He would be gloriously beautiful to you. Secondly, Christ's reconciliation that we see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19-23. through These are beautiful words of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a work that no one else can do. Nobody can do this for you. Children, you can't run to your parents and say, can you take care of this for me? Or even you adult children, you can't go to your parents and say, I've made a mess with my life. Can you please fix this for me? This is something only the Lord Jesus Christ can do. And He has done it for His people. Let's read those words again in Colossians chapter 1. It says that in verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. There is reconciliation with the Heavenly Father. Son and Holy Spirit only because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other reconciliation in the world. Everything else is just words. Either Jesus reconciles you to the Father or you are not reconciled. The Bible says either that is done or you are in your sins and you have a terrible expectation of the wrath of God that will come. So either you are reconciled to God and in relationship with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ or you are in enmity with Him and you hate Him. You want nothing to do with Him. Get Him out of my life and get His name off of my lips. I don't want anything to do with Him. Those are the options according to the Scriptures. Either you are reconciled to God or you are still His enemy. In the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 19-23, to Paul speaks about this. Beginning in verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us, in the children of God. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. All creation waits to see who are those that Christ came to die for. The trees and the hills, the rocks and the valleys and the rivers wait to see who are the ones that belong to God. Who are the ones that Christ came to redeem? Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. But because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So there are three types of reconciliation that are spoken about in Romans chapter 8 and Colossians chapter 1. And they are significant for each of us. And there is, according to the Bible, an ache in creation. And I ache in the hearts of God's people for this redemption, this reconciliation to be accomplished. It says that all of creation waits for it. You remember in the book of Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell, there were curses that were handed out. When Adam and Eve sinned, Adam represented all of humanity. And curses went on to the serpent. They went to Adam and Eve. But they went to the creation itself. Do you remember when God spoke to Adam and told him that as he worked the ground, thorns and thistles would come up. Every time you poke your hand on a briar, you should be reminded, I live in a fallen world. Every time you bleed because of something you're working on and it's not a mistake you made, you should be reminded, I live in a fallen world. These thorns and thistles weren't supposed to be part of how we were to have dominion over this land. And I am meant to tend a garden. I'm meant to see things grow. I'm meant to enjoy it because my Father made it. And every time you see a plant come out of the dirt, you should be reminded, this is my Father's world. It's His, not mine. All of creation awaits the reconciliation that Christ brought to His people. He also brought reconciliation to His church, to His people. God's covenant people throughout all ages and all times of the earth, God came to bring that. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, which our men have been studying in my men's Bible study on Monday evenings, we looked at what has taken place because of Christ. He has taken people who were at odds with one another, and in ways that you and I maybe can understand, maybe not just differences in color but also differences in race that would say, well, these people aren't actually people. They're beneath us. They're unclean. They're apart from God. In Ephesians chapter 2, he speaks about Jews and Gentiles that way. People who were at enmity with one another. They are unclean and we are holy. We are righteous and they are filthy. We are holy and they are wicked. It's the way they looked at each other. And what Paul told the Ephesians was when Christ came, He made a new people of God. There will no longer be this idea of holy Israel and then others, Gentiles over here. What Christ did was to bring them together to make a people, the church for whom Christ died. And He labors to present it to Christ as a bride adorned in white garments. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. Male nor female. He says all are one in Christ. Christ is reconciling his people to himself. And lastly, Christ is reconciling individual people. You and me. And I think this is where it hits home. You can think for a moment about the cosmic reconciliation that God is doing out in the world. You can think about what he's doing in the church. But you also have to reckon with the fact that he came to reconcile people to himself. We were once alienated from God. Enemies in our minds, Paul says, and we did wicked works and we loved them. Not just that we do bad things every once in a while, but we do bad things and we love them apart from the work of Christ in us. Once we were alienated from God. We were outside of His family. We had no hope of His covenant. We had no thought of an inheritance in heaven. And then He says, you were reconciled through Christ's blood. He spilled it for His people. It says in the Bible that for the joy that was set before Him, He despised the shame of the cross. And what was that joy? Being exalted and lifted high, being in His Father's presence again, but also you and me, his people. You were on his mind when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You were on his mind, his people. We're now reconciled to God in two different directions. The first is us to God. Our sin is no longer in the way. We are no longer unrighteous because of Christ. And because of what He did. He exchanges our sin for His righteousness. And He clothes us in it. But He also reconciles God to us. A God who says that He cannot look upon sin or iniquity. And He must pour out wrath on it. When the Lord Jesus suffered for you and me. He took all of the wrath of God for us. We have been reconciled to God. And so the most glorious truth that I can share with you this morning as you think about, do I know God? Does he know me? Is this, that according to the Bible and words that we cannot understand or even explain, God calls us his sons and daughters. No longer enemies, no longer slaves, and he could have done this. He could have said, okay, you're justified. Your sins are gone. But the way you're going to live in front of me for all eternity is you're going to work for me. I forgave you. I won't pour out my wrath on you. But you will never know what it's like to be in a family. You can work. But he didn't do that. He said, I bring you into my family. I set you at the table. When Jesus told the disciples, I go and prepare a place for you. He was telling them, don't get too comfortable here. This isn't your home. I'm coming to take you home one day. And I told you last week from C.S. Lewis's work, Mere Christianity, if there is in you a desire and longing that cannot be fulfilled in this world, we have to conclude logically we were made for another one. If you're uncomfortable here, it's okay. If you're uncomfortable in this world, it's fine. You were made for another one. You are a citizen of heaven. You have a home there with the Lord Jesus. So I want to ask you, if Jesus says you're no longer a slave, if God calls you His son or His daughter, what is the nature of the change that takes place to make this happen? How is this possible? How is this possible? It's a total transformation. It is beyond even words. It's not simply this. And maybe we're good at this. Because maybe we have in our mind an idea of what a Christian looks like. But what Jesus is talking about and what Paul is talking about here about reconciliation is not behavior modification. Not bad men who are now nice men. People who look different. Who can wear a tie and a jacket. Who look presentable that you wouldn't mind taking home to mom and dad. It's not that at all. It's that dead men are now a new creation. People who were dead who had no thought for God. No love for other people now have been changed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Do you understand that you should be living in the light of the resurrection today because God has set His name on you and the glory of the Son is in you. You have His Spirit in you. You belong to Him. You walk with Him. He's with you every day. One of the hymns that we sing in the In the whispering grass, I could hear Him pass. He's with you. He's your heavenly Father. There's nowhere you can go apart from Him. No disaster you could undergo. No far place you could travel to where He's not with you. And no difficulty that you walk through. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 6, it says this, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, that same one who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has put His Spirit in you. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. I want to read from our Shorter Catechism about what it says about adoption. What does it mean to be adopted into the family of God? It means you weren't part of it. Not everybody in the world is a child of God. That's the truth of the Scriptures. We're not all just going to heaven because God's a nice guy. You go to heaven because you've been adopted into His family. Shorter Catechism question number 34 asks, What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Do you know God? Is He your heavenly Father? Have you been added to that number by Him? Or are you working as a slave trying to earn it today? Are you here today hoping to, to put in your time? I came on Easter. They'll leave me alone. Or are you coming because you know your name has been written in heaven and you belong to Him? You are an adopted son or daughter of the living God and you are His. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So, I want to ask you now at the end, are you one of Christ's persevering people? Paul said he was sure that if they continued in the faith, the Lord Jesus would bring them home. In Colossians chapter 1 that we read this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, it's God's intent through the Lord Jesus Christ to present you holy and blameless before Him, above reproach in His sight, if indeed you continue steadfast in the faith. What is the test of Christian faith? How does Paul conceive of it? I think very simply he says, you continue in it. You continue to walk in it. You don't walk away from it. You don't point to something you did years ago. No matter how many times you've been dunked or how many times you've walked an altar. How many times you've cried out to God and said, I'm sorry. Are you walking with the Lord Jesus today according to his terms? In Luke chapter 8, verse 13, it says, The seed that fell on the rock are those who hear and receive the word with joy, but they have no root in them, who for a while believe, and in time of testing they fall away. They were never saved. Well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says true Christians continue in the faith. They persevere, not because of something in themselves, of themselves, but because of the gift of God in them by His Spirit. Those who belong to him continue in the faith. John chapter 8 verses 30 and 31, John writes, as he Jesus spoke these words many believed on him. Then he Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my words, then you are disciples of mine. You can tell who a true Christian is because they continue to walk with him. John chapter 15 verses 1 through 10, Jesus speaks about true vines and branches. That true branches abide in the vine, But Judas branches are those that are there for a while, and then they're gone. 1 John chapter 2, verses 19 and 24 to 25, They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. Let that therefore abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father." And this is the promise that He has promised to us, even eternal life. That is a gift that Jesus gives His people. You don't earn it. You can't. And since you can't earn it, you can't unearn it either. You can't do something to lose it. If God sets His special love on you, you can be sure, if He has filled you with His Spirit, that He will call you home. You are redeemed. You belong to Him. And the Bible says that you will be glorious. When you see Jesus, you will have His glory. He will give it to you as a gift. God is a God of justice. He doesn't give us our due. He gives us Christ's due in exchange for ours. What a mighty God we serve. He is risen. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You and we praise You for this Resurrection Sunday. To be in Your presence with Your people is a delight. And we know that we are here not by a mistake, but according to your plan today. We thank you and we praise you for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, and for any who might be here who don't know you, that they would quietly consider their heart and their faith before you. What better day than Easter Sunday to profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to continue to walk with Him? Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that has a hard heart, that has been pricked because of the gospel today, that they would believe, that they would cry out to you in faith and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Your word says that you delight to hear those prayers. And I pray, Lord, that you would answer them. Help us, Lord, all to be encouraged today that we belong to you, that our names are written in heaven as we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship now, responding to God's Word by singing number 286, Worship Christ the Risen King. an offering to the glory of God. for beautiful music. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege and the joy that it is to give to you our tithes and our offerings. In a small way, saying that we believe and trust that the Lord will continue to provide for us. Lord, I pray for those in our midst who give faithfully, who know that uh, they may have little of this world's possessions, but they know that you provide everything for them. You do for all of us, and we thank you and praise you for the gift that it is. And we pray, Lord, that You would use our tithes and offerings to spread the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in our community and in our state and in our world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. say Happy Easter to you and to your family, from our family to yours. Receive the benediction of our Lord from the book of Joshua 23 and Revelation 22. Know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. Now go and rest in this promise of Christ. Surely I am coming soon. Amen.